Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? You are listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I am your host, Dapper Data. I have a special guest on here who is going to tell you everything. I mean, everything about unstructured data, right? <laughs> His name is Kirk Markle. This guy is amazing. I'm telling you right now. But before I introduce you all to Kirk, I want to let you know that unstructured data is very valuable. Okay. It is very valuable to the industry. A lot of times we talk about structured data, right? Databases, things like that. But what about those Word documents? What about those video streaming uh, 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 files, right? You know, that's very important. Okay. So today we're going to discuss a few things and I brought in a special guest to tell you about it. And we're going to talk a little bit about data engineering, right? CPUs versus GPUs as well. And when you think about, think about it, right? If you listen to my podcast, you tend to see a lot of podcasts related to data science or data management, if you will, right? We'll talk a little bit about data engineering and that role in there as well. So I want to introduce you all to Kirk. Kirk is the CEO and founder of Unstruck Data, a new company that is building the industry's leading unstructured data warehouse for automating data preparation via metadata enrichment and integrated compute and graph-based search. So Kirk, thank you for being on here. Uh, tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, being a, I'm a career software developer, uh, kind of been in the media software space my whole career. I'd been at Microsoft, had been um, started a video transcoding company, and really in the last, I guess, since I sold my company, uh, I guess about six years ago, um, have really been looking at this unstructured data platform space and had been at General Motors for a time, uh, which I know we'll talk about in a bit, but kind of seeing the other side of the world, I'd been selling to ESPN and PBS and all these broadcasters, and I kind of wanted to see the other side of the world of how does media get used in kind of industry um, as a whole. So yeah, it's been a, I mean, been a fun ride. We're, um, we got started about a year ago with Unstruck Data and we're, uh, I mean, really, we're actually just launching um, later this month or in the next couple of weeks to uh, our true V1 product. So it's, it's exciting times. Nice, 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 Kurt. You know, so you've been in the space, the, the media management pipeline space for mm -hmm. about 25 years, right? You know, exactly. Uh, yeah. But that entail that that would cover probably what DevOps that covers, uh, you know, is that data science as well? Is that is that ML ops? You know, I mean, at the start, I mean, when this got started, I mean, machine learning was, I mean, really in, in its infancy, and then, and at the early days, it was really more about the data management, metadata, search, mm -hmm. uh, retrieval. Um, storage archiving. I mean, we dealt with the networking and the storage because it was it was mostly on-prem, um, really all, all on-prem when we got started. Mm -hmm. And this has really migrated now to, I think people just kind of uh, ignore the, okay, well, where does it live? Okay, it lives on object storage, like S3 bucket or blob mm -hmm. storage. But there's still a lot to do with, I mean, the knobs you can turn to mm -hmm. save yourself money in terms of, have I touched this data in three months? Oh, it can go to cold storage. Right. And and all of that fits together. I mean, we used to get more to the metal in the on-prem days, and I think it's now kind of the layers keep kind of moving up. And mm -hmm. we really are focused on still the same metadata management, search retrieval, but now it's about running compute on the data. And it's mm -hmm. not just about eyeballs consuming the data, like for YouTube and Netflix. It's about, well, machine learning algorithms have to touch mm -hmm. that data. Um, right. And so that was really the big difference of what I saw in the last, I guess, five, six years. And then ML ops and training and all these kind of things get fit into that. But at the end of the day, I mean, you have an ML pipeline that's trying to find observations of things typically in an image or a video um, or in an audio recording or a document or things like that. And that's where it gets really interesting, this whole other world of what are you observing in the data, not just kind of consuming it in human eyeballs. Right, right. And, and, and that's fascinating because when you think about, you know, like multimedia, right, you know, mm -hmm. For me, I, I see I'm working with a customer right now that uh, is capturing data where they're capturing video, video images, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so they're doing AI, they're doing modeling on it. They have their code and all that good stuff on there. And they're capturing these video images from a camera, right? Mm -hmm. And the camera is being is processing things, but you don't, I didn't realize how much metadata comes. Exactly. Yeah. Time, right? You know, and I'm sure that that's what you're capturing. 
right? You know, a lot of that metadata and nobody's using it as much as, uh, well, that's why you're taking advantage of it, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, your time, your, where it is in geospace, like GPS location, mm -hmm. but there's other things like, um, people don't typically, like if you fly a drone, usually there's like an ID for the drone um, for in the actual metadata. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, the uh, um, things like that, the lens information, um, oh. how like how the actual, um, all the camera parameters are snapshotted into every image. And mm -hmm. so really it's a ton of data that we can then infer other things through. So we know, mm -hmm. was this taken on a drone? Was it taken with a thermal camera? Um, I mean, and, and even using that for kind of geo-clustering and different things like that of kind of where are we finding things? Um, so yeah, that's where it gets really interesting. I mean, it's, we call that like the technical metadata and then there's kind of the semantic metadata we can gather from analyzing the data, the actual data, but the file has a lot of metadata too. Okay. Okay. So, so I want to talk a little bit about unstruck data, right? Mm -hmm. This is an amazing company. I listened to the video. Uh, definitely check out the video and, and check out the company, you know, unstruck, is it unstruckdata.com? Um, just unstruck, just unstruck. unstruck. Yeah, 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 okay. U-N-S-T-R-U-K. Uh-huh.com. Okay. .com. All right, and unstruck data is, is an amazing company, right? You know, I was able to do some research on it uh, prior to our interview and listen to the video, the video, and I got to see exactly what you're doing with it. And in my head, at first, I was thinking, okay, you're just tagging, you know, some of the data, right? You know, that's all it is, right? This is just tagging. But it's much more than that. Tell, tell us a little bit about the company. Yeah, I mean, it's it really is aimed to be, I mean, originally one of the taglines we called it was like Google Photos for Industry. Mm -hmm. of, I mean, there's a lot of these tools out there where you put your data in, you upload it, and you can audit, it automatically finds things for you. I mean, mm -hmm. like Google Photos can find your friends, your, I mean, in different faces and cluster yeah. things. But for the average user of data that say is at a, um, a port doing maintenance of their, their maintenance facility and they're uploading data from their phone, they don't have the same tools. They can't mm -hmm. find and identify the, the, um, the equipment that they're looking at every day or problems like water pooling next to a conveyor belt or something like right. that. Right. And what we realized is you kind of need this sense of consumer friendly tools that we all use for our own phone photos, but to broaden across video, image, document reports, um, 3D data that's now being captured, um, and really just a broad swath of media management tools. But you also need to get that last mile of identification of what we call observations. And so it's like, okay, we can find things like um, buildings and people and kind of generic um, uh, entities or uh, objects in the data. But if you want to find your specific things that you work with every day in your mm -hmm. facility, you have to build ML models for that. And it's it's the out-of-the-box ones from Azure or AWS just aren't going to find your data, your mm -hmm. objects. Um, and so we had a thesis where you said, look, I mean, we got to build up this really nice media management tool, kind of an analytics user interface that you saw in the video. You mm -hmm. can search and filter and do all these things. But it's those tags that are key. Because if you have... 10,000 images that you're taking every week, it's too much work to go through there and hand tag everything. And so we're not assuming people are going to do that. But what we're giving people the capability is to build what we're calling an auto tag. And it's basically give us 20 or 25 examples. And then we will then go and build you a model with auto ML capabilities from Azure and deploy that model against your data. And so for the, the engineer, the, the sort of maintenance engineer or the aerial survey company or the land management, construction management company, they're not data scientists. They're not ML engineers. They don't even, they barely, I mean, they're not gonna know what computer vision is necessarily, but mm -hmm. we wanted to make it as easy as possible to build and deploy a model to your data to find the things you care about. Um, and then that all just works well in our whole discovery and data discovery system. Um, and then the long-term view is two things. It's do that not just for images, do it for audio and text and all that kind of stuff where we can find your terms in an audio recording or your- or, or, Is it uh, based off of, sorry to cut you off, is it based yeah. off of what they what they have presented to you, right? That 25 things or more, um, these are key words, right? These are, are things that are uh, are saying, hey, look, when, when people are searching, they connect to, you know, so 
Is that is that what it's based off of? Exactly. And so um, for now, like I was doing a demo the other day of, um, we have a bunch of drone imagery. And I was thinking, well, maybe it's a company that, um, it, it was sort of a, a tummy in cheek one, but it was like a company that delivers porta potties to a park. Yeah. And they want to go and make sure that, hey, nobody's knocked them over. Or maybe they've known, like they got stolen or something like that. And literally, you could build an auto tagging for a porta potty just by giving 2025 examples from the data and then go, we would just, as the data comes through from the drone flights, we can identify where they are. And then we could show those clustered positions of the porta potties on a map. And we could say, wait a minute, like at some point in time, there used they're to be seven and other five of them or two of them moved. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a tongue in cheek demo, but it was like, that is, um, that's the kind of concept where, I mean, to think of how hard that would be manually, you'd literally have to scrub through that data, write down GPS locations, like figure out all this stuff, um, right. but extrapolate that to, um, we talked to a land management group that was saying, okay, like homeless encampments in parks. Um, and they were worried actually about um, them being too close to fire risks. And so the idea of first identifying where the encampments are, but then correlating that with um, fire risk data mm -hmm. and saying, oh, they're too close to this area and kind of overlaying layers of sort of cluster data. Um, mm -hmm. And those are some really interesting things we could do. If it's not just about the data you're perceiving, but it's a data that correlated with other data sets, mm -hmm. like weather, um, like data in a, in a SQL database or, or things like that. Um, and that's our long-term vision is to start to be this knowledge hub built up from the unstructured data, but crossing the chasm to other forms of data um, that are out there as well. Man, that is amazing. You know, so so how do you manage all the data in one place, right? You know, is it is it object store? Is like something like the S3 object store that you have there? Is just a bunch of data there? And then well, the, as it the comes through, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no, sorry. I mean, the lowest level is. And so the, the videos and the audios, they're definitely on object store. Okay. Um, think of it if there's like a metadata layer above that. And so ah. in the database, we don't store the raw data in the database. We okay. just store essentially J JSON. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so we're abstracting the metadata to essentially JSON and um, we're using a true graph database. And that was one of the unique things is, mm -hmm. um, this is something I'd worked on kind of in the, I was working on a podcast discovery platform on the side mm -hmm. a couple of years ago before I started this company and was looking at taking like what we're speaking about now, identifying the entities of what are interesting things and then kind of spidering it and, and putting together this sort of view on the podcast of all the things that were might've been discussed. And so I had this idea of you could build a knowledge graph from that data. And essentially I, that's the technology that I took that I started this company with. And, but it's really a, it's a layer of metadata and relationships. You can look at it that way of we're extracting people, places, things, um, companies, terms um, and creating all those edges. And that's the interesting part is, as you put more and more data into the system, you get more and more relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's where we can then start to cluster those relationships together. Um, but all that lives, we're not touching the raw video at that point. We're only touching the video. And so search and retrieval is very quick. I mean, you're just talking right to a, a SQL or a, uh, like we use Cosmos DB on Azure. Um, mm -hmm. So it's either a graph query or a SQL query, um, or we're using cognitive search, which is sort of like a, a just a, a search index, um, which is very quick to query. And so we're getting, I mean, 20 is milliseconds. Like Elasticsearch? Uh... It's very, very much like Elasticsearch, okay. yeah. And so your query times are really fast because you're not querying the video at, at, in real time. You're mm -hmm. just querying metadata index. And so... It's a, it's a classic kind of caching problem. I mean, we're just essentially creating this index sort of cache of every of all the data. Um, and then that's what we use during query time for everything. Man, you are killing it, Kurt. I'll tell you, man. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's little bits of learnings from all of my long, like the lots of stuff I've done. Mm -hmm. And it all kind of came together of like, hey, we could put this concept with this concept with this concept and hopefully make something kind of cool on the top, so. Yeah, no, no, it's amazing because a lot of times people don't understand like throughout your life right throughout your career um you learn different things that can actually help solve problems and you never yeah. really take advantage of that right you know you just bypass it just live day by yeah. day and say hey you know it's just i'm just waiting to to leave this earth maybe i came in i'm waiting but you have so much value because you, you have a chance to and i know this is totally off topic but you have a chance to 
take advantage of opportunities that presented you. You're exposed to so many things throughout your life and your career. You can do that. So, you know, that's amazing, man. Yeah, it's just, it's funny. I mean, and, it, and it's never intentional. I mean, I've always kind of been around this kind of media file based workflow space, but never like it was never like a thought process day one. It's right. I just ended up working for a company doing image processing. And then they were I worked for another company doing um, real time video. And then at Microsoft, we're doing 3D virtual worlds. And so it's just you end up learning these little data points. And now it comes back around with like we're dealing with LIDAR data off of um, off of like for autonomous vehicle. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of similar to what I did in the 3D realm back in the day. So you just see these little things to kind of build up over time and you end up just being lucky enough to reuse them. So. Yeah, yeah, no, that's amazing, man. You know, so I have one more question about unstruck data. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's really around the tagging, right? Again, because, yeah. you know, one of the problems that I see in the government, we talked about, you know, working, working for the government, you know, uh, they have so much data, right? You know, and they're so far behind, right? The commercial world, right? It's all the time, you know, but they have a ridiculous amount of data and they're trying to join it. They're trying to join into, you know, the machine learning realm. They're trying to join 90% of, of, of the models that are created by data scientists in there are not even going to production, right? You know, and so uh, a lot of times, and I don't know why, but that that's what happens now. Uh, they're, they're into data science. They're trying to get into it. They're late in the game. Um, one of the problems I saw and I see over time, you know, has been data labeling, right? You know, and we talked about data labeling a little bit of how important that is and how instructed data is providing value to that. Are you doing it in the uh, at real time, capturing the labeling? Or is it like, hey, is in this obvious where I'm labeling? Or can it do both? You know, can it capture old data and just just grab it and do that? In that, it's it's interesting. So there's there's two sides to it. So if we we can go back and backfill data. So if you create like an auto tag, and you can say, hey, go run this on the last ninety day of data or something. Oh like my that. goodness, can, that's it's it's a feature we've just been talking about. And we can technically do it. We're we're gonna deliver it in the in the, to customers in probably later this quarter. But we're trying to figure out. It's like. Do people want to run it on everything? Do they want to run it on like the last mm -hmm. 90 days? And what kind of options do we want to give people? So we're kind of thinking through some of the capabilities. But theoretically, we can just spawn 100,000 jobs and just say, hey, go in, go run this model on all this data. And it just does it as fast as possible and scales out. Because we're right. a serverless architecture. So it's really easy for us just to queue up a bunch of jobs. It just runs as fast as it can scale out. And then it just bursts the, the right. capacity and comes back. Um, and so that we're just kind of trying to think through how would people even want to use that? Because um, right. it, it obviously there's cost to it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the labeling side of it, so we're, we're, I mean, we're focused more on models that have already been created. Well, there's two sides of it. There's models that have already been created we can host or, or connect to and run against their data. So that's mm -hmm. part of it, of like the trained pipeline we can run against your data. But then the, on the, on the labeling side, there's great tooling out there that we're not going to sort of reproduce. So like uh, Labelbox or Scale AI or Inoteskis. Um, what we also are looking at is kind of being, I've always kind of used this uh, needle in a haystack model where we're not trying to deliver the needle. We're just trying to make the haystack smaller. Mm -hmm. And so the problem with labeling a lot of times for these companies is how do you just find a basic set of data via some parameters that you just want to carve out from your million assets a good 10,000 to start mm -hmm. at, a good thousand to start at. And that's, I see, where we our value of kind of that data preparation and kind of just hacking at it, kind of taking them I in, getting it down to a reasonable set. Um, and that's what something where we're looking at using models more as like rough cut editors to say, find me something close enough to the pin that I can go in there with a human eye and refine and just get the, get the noise out of there. The things that maybe we don't care about, like say I'm trying to build a model for some form of vehicle that mm -hmm. I at least can just generate a model that says, Hey, find me anything with that looks sort of like a vehicle. It only needs to be like 80% confident mm -hmm. and just throw away the rest. And so instead of trying to be, I think so many ML workflows today are about the specific, not the general. Yeah. And, they tend to fail because it's really hard to get that one specific thing. And this is kind of my personal thesis right now is 
let's maybe look at it the other way. Let's start in, like using multiple models together just to start hacking at it to get close enough to the pin and then start being and then start putting our effort into the last like a, a sort of jokingly internally like leave yourself a short putt like that's yeah. kind of where we're kind of we've been saying internally of we can hopefully get the customer close enough that they can do the work themselves to have a short putt mm -hmm. and yeah. that's kind of where we're sort of thinking which i think is a little different than the way the market's been where everybody's really been focused on Hey, we want to make that long putt really accurate, and and uh, and I think it's it's a little bit of a different way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and and it's funny because you you mentioned how you know that eighty percent is fine, right, for the model, right, and it, and it is right, and a lot of times we focus so much on that modeling part, but I feel like we've skipped past some yeah. of the basic data preparation part, right? right? The cleaning and all that good stuff, right? You know, and it's funny because I, I was listening to a, um, it was it was a YouTube video presentation from Andrew, I think it's Ning. Ning. Yeah, yeah, Andrew, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so he, man, amazing person. He was yeah. talking about how we're going too fast. In my eyes, that's what I took it as, right? We're going too fast from the, from the, uh, the 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 model the modeling portion, right? You know, we're creating these yeah. models, and you you're, you're just trying to make the model better, make it better. But really, yeah. the data better underneath, right? I, I read that. I read the article or the summary of his. I think is one is one of his talks. And I mean, obviously, he's an icon in this in the ML space. But it's he's right on. I mean, the, and it it is. I think people get kind of tied up in the esoterics of. The, I mean, the algorithms and the hard this and that. And it's like in the video day, like I didn't write my own video codec. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just used the best off the shelf video codec and tried to refine the workflow above it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the PBS doesn't care that we have the best H.264 codec in the, I mean, out there <laughs> by 1%. They uh, just care that it works reliably 99.99% of the time and their customers are happy. And right. so I think it's, there's a little bit of that I mean, being a developer, you always get that technical bias of trying to do the new cool thing or the shiny object. But mm -hmm. I think there's almost this pragmatism that's coming back into play now where it's like, let's just make sure we have good data. Yeah, yeah. The, the ML stuff is, is commoditizing the same way that I saw video commoditize. Like, I mean, there's mm -hmm. only, I mean, everybody uses FFmpeg for video encoding and everybody uses <laughs> blah, blah, blah for whatever. And it's like, it, it's with auto ML and all this stuff now, it's like, we're not writing our own models. We're just building on top of YOLO V5 for mm -hmm. detection. Like it's the other stuff around it that's right. being solved now. Um, there's still going to be, I mean, for for specific use cases like for autonomous vehicles and like for edge devices and stuff, people are really going to lean into those hard problems. But right. eighty percent of the world, I mean, it's just you're you're I don't know putting too fine a find a polish on it at some point. And so I think you need to focus on, can I just get the data flowing better? And, and those kinds right. of things. Right, right, no, absolutely. All right, so I, I want to transition over to a topic that I know the audience likes to hear about or would like to hear about data engineering, all right? And the reason why I wanted to talk about that was because a lot of times we talk about data scientists, okay? But we forget that there's this role that's sort of in between that with the infrastructure yeah. and all that good stuff. The data engineer, right? The hard work that's done prior to getting to that point, right? Of data science, right? And uh, you know, or you know, there's different levels, if, if you if if you will, you know. And I want to talk about how valuable that is. You know, I know you 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 don't work uh, directly as a data engineer or have uh, worked as it, but you have uh, connected many days. Yeah, work with many data engineer. Do you find the role valuable, and how valuable do you do you find it? Uh, I, I mean, I think I've worked, I work in organizations that had them and, and didn't have them. And I think it's, I mean, it seems so like such a valuable position to let the data science, data scientists kind of do what they're good at and not have to worry about wrangling the data. And I know that smaller organizations, you have to wear many hats. Um, but even, I mean, the best, I mean, the data science I've worked with in a couple of places are just some of the smartest people I've ever worked with. I mean, they're like PhDs and way smarter than I am, but you find them like worrying about how to get data from point A to point B. And which is just like, it sounds dumb to say it's beneath them, but it's just like, it's a waste of their their intelligence really. Right. <laughs> because there's, there's like, there's algorithmic stuff that they could be doing in that percentage of their time that's like no one else on the team can do. And mm. so 
I think it's a, and not to say there's, I mean, other people that couldn't do it, but it's let, let people sort of do what they're best at. And if there's just, I mean, even if it's data engineers setting up automated pipelines that are reproducible and you just kind of set and forget and they just work, um, it just lets people stay in their zone more. Yeah, and I, lane, like, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that's the biggest reason I see is, I think, I mean, there's so many good tools out there now and people are, I mean, and, and even that's kind of what we're trying to do here at Unstruck is, look, I mean, just put data into us, set and forget. I mean, let us, let us ingest, let us extract, and then we can, I mean, you can use the data that we, we give you back in many ways. And I think in normal data, data engineering pipelines, it's the same thing. Like, just get your good data at the end of the day by setting these rules. And um, and that's where things, I mean, there's I mean, so many good companies that have popping up now to, to do all those pieces of the pipeline. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really valuable role. And I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of what we're seeing now in data science is commoditizing a bit that I think the data engineer role is probably going to become more and more apt because there's more mm -hmm. data than there maybe is in innovation um, in some of these ways. And and I think, but it, I think it'll flip around. I think the, the balance kind of will probably go back and forth that as we hit a steady state, when getting data into the system becomes easier, we're probably going to go back and there's going to be more innovation more in, in some other areas. Yeah. So, so I see, uh, you know, when talking about data engineering, right, and um, and how valuable it is. So I work a lot with data engineers when it comes out. We provide a lot of the infrastructure uh, at NetApp, right? You know, and then yep. we have data engineers that are helping out with the infrastructure for the analysis portion. They're doing the designing, the building, testing, integrating, managing, right? The data management portion, they're involved in that heavily and optimized. They almost have to know, I feel like more about the above and the below yep. than anybody else right you know they're in between they have to know how everything kind of connects and plays together you know and i and and one of the questions i always had was or at recently even with with, with the company i'm at and that happened it has been hey will a data engineer role ever become automated right you know yeah and, you know talking to you it seems like i don't think that's possible right you know but three percent of the yeah. audience that was um i did a poll a while ago when they said three percent there's a three percent chance of automation for data oh, wow. right? <laughs> you know i think so. i mean but it comes back to but i think you kind of reference it is is data modeling like who yeah. i mean it kind of goes back to the classic role of i mean dbas and and data like in the back of the days of like okay like who owns that of how all the pieces fit together mm -hmm. and so i think it's if the data engineer is really owning that or is there someone else owning that or kind of mm -hmm. seeing the big picture and i think a lot of it is someone needs to i mean someone needs to know because yeah. i think those are where the problems happen like and i listen to a lot of data podcasts too and they're always talking about somebody upstream changes a schema and doesn't think doesn't see how that affects people downstream and mm -hmm. it's a classic problem but it's like whose responsibility is that like is it really i mean i, I know there's a lot of tooling being generated to track that lineage and know that like it's almost like a subscription model of okay i know i'm doing something these people subscribe to my data but it's it's a really tough problem and i mean or like i don't know it could be something as like you change say that you have a drone program and they change the metadata on the drone like they turn off some feature on the drone or the drone mm -hmm. vendor updates something and you break your entire downstream workflow for mm -hmm. unstructured data too like it could happen um but it's like how do you how do you have tests and sort of back channels to know when those things change i think is, is that's where the tricky part comes into play yeah so some type of versioning in place or something yep. that, that captures it you know and it's exact time stamp and and yep. who did it and all that good stuff right you know but i think a lot of the thing i've been thinking lately is i mean a lot of these are solved problems in the software development mm -hmm. um, unit tests i mean get like all these kind of things I'm yeah seeing, exactly <laughs> you know a little bit of it like where i think it's it's almost like data is catching up to software in a sense where all the tooling that's coming out just looks like software development tooling in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. I mean, like testing, automation, like Terraform for deploying infrastructure, mm -hmm. like all these things. So I think that'll catch up for a little while. Like there'll be this shakeout where like, okay, now they've kind of caught up to the state of the art. And it, I'm really interested to see what happens after that. Because I think right now there's not as much innovation. There's just sort of catching up. Um, so. Oh, that, that's a great point. I didn't think about that, right? You know, how they're starting to get, get close to each other. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think at some point they'll kind of converge or there's be sort of a, 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 a position at that point, but I think at some point then they'll be able to exert the time to be like, oh, okay, what, what's cool and new we can do from there, so. Yeah, yeah, so, so would we agree that the role of the data engineer probably would not be automated, at least in the near future? You know. I can't. I can't see it. Yeah, I. I don't think it's going to happen very soon, if at all, if, if ever. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, if ever, right? That's a good point. So I wanted to dive into uh, GPUs versus CPUs and and how that works, right? You know, and I am definitely a novice. I was explaining that earlier. You know, diving into it. I mean, it's so fascinating to me because so many data scientists, right? You know, I'm sitting there. I'm working on my. I'm currently doing my doctorate in data science, right? Mm -hmm. And I and I'm and I'll be done by the end of this year. Not one time did we talk about GPUs, right? You know, and we didn't. And and I just so happened to start because I work with uh, industry uh, uh, folks, vendors, right? You know, mm -hmm. like Oracle and and NetApp and Hitachi, right? They're they're into their understanding, right? The latest and greatest, and so they understand that GPUs are playing a, a, a powerful part when you talk about you know the loading of the data, the modeling, right? The you know, all the uh, computational stuff that has to happen, right? You know, the process. And so I, I always wonder, is it is it very viable, valuable for a data scientist to understand how GPUs work, right? You know, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's interesting. Like, and you had mentioned with CUDA before, it's like, um, I mean, there's there gets to be a point where there starts to be packages that are built and this kind of layering of, of software that like, how much do I need to care about like how big my cache is on my CPU? And, mm -hmm. or, or like, what am I running on Intel or AMD? Like, and I think there's a level of, we've gotten continually abstracted away from these things. Um, and GPU and CPU are interesting where, I mean, I dealt with it a lot in the video realm where GPUs were very, I mean, you could encode a video way faster on a GPU than a CPU, mm -hmm. but you also had this issue of, um, you usually had way more access to way more cores on a CPU than you did on a GPU. And just from a cost perspective, like you could easily buy a, a Xeon back in the day, like a Xeon chip with 32 cores, um, where maybe you could only get like two NVIDIA cards in that, in that same box. Mm -hmm. And so you, it, it became a scale thing where maybe I could run eight encodes that took a bit longer on the same box as having the the GPU on there. And so it's it's and we're seeing this today where I think if you if you apply it to the right problems, I mean the GPUs are incredible. They're I mean they're becoming faster and faster every year. But I think there's I think we lost a bit of that pragmatism of do we need to use them for everything? Like they're so much more expensive, they're harder to get. Um, and especially if just from a supply chain angle, like are there situations where maybe a CPU and scale out can solve the same problem in a cheaper way and from a maybe an energy efficient way. Um, and I don't, I don't know, I mean, this is my perspective. I mean, maybe I don't, I haven't seen a lot of talk about that of it's, it's kind of like, okay, this is just the new world where everything's GPU, but maybe there is a balance that we should be doing of maybe using GPUs in the right way and keeping them for the problems where they're really useful instead mm -hmm. of using that as the same hammer for everything else. Um, but then again, I mean, we're using GPUs for computer vision model training. I mean, it's it's they are the best thing if you care about the performance and this and the speed up. Um, but I know back in the day, I mean, we used to do a lot more low level testing to be like, how much memory do we need to put in this? I mean, what kind of disk are we running on SSD? Are we running like mm -hmm. on um, what network are we using? Like, and I find that these days we're abstracted so far from that that we're not tuning systems anymore it's just hey let's just run more run, run more servers on it oh man so do you think that and this is man you're, you're just touching so many uh, oh. thought processes of the future right and and i'm just thinking man are gpus a way of us being lazier you know in a sense right you know and just yeah. saying hey, just throw gpus at it right you know we're good to go i think it's a problem i mean i've, I've seen people were seeing like oh my my algorithm's slow let me just run run it on 10 more servers and it can scale yeah. up. And I think there is a bit of a laziness or just a get the job done, just kind of mm -hmm. a I mean, that approach. But I think it's it's also a, hey, maybe that's okay because it solved our problem, we can move on to the next problem. Right. And I think it's, it's just, I mean, being around the career as long as I have, I mean, I used to definitely care much more about the low level 
And I know at this point I've gotten abstracted away from that where it's like, yeah, I mean, if the general code runs pretty quickly, then I'm looking at more of the hotspots of, mm. I mean, okay, what kind of storage am I running against or what kind of networking? But a lot of times you don't even have access to change it anymore. Like you're right. just, whatever Azure's networking is or whatever VM you're running on and you're, you can basically pick from a couple different things. Yeah not really tuning anymore to that level. And so it's it's just funny to see how the knobs have changed um, over the yeah. years. I think, or you just, everybody's like, well, if it's slow now, wait till next year and NVIDIA will have another chip ready. And so yeah. it's uh, it's kind of funny how it's, how it's all transitioned. That's funny because you're always waiting for the latest chip, right? The AMD chip, yeah. whatever it is, you know, NVIDIA chip, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, I mean, uh, and, and, and no, you're spot on, you know, and I, I, I at least I think so, you know, and, um, you know, I, I, I believe there's values. There is a value to, um, to GPUs for sure. Yeah. You know, understanding CUDA, you know, as an API, another API to learn. I mean, I'm, I'm almost, I'm still struggling trying to learn the other stuff, right? Yeah. You know, and then you're bringing CUDA. In there. Yeah. I would probably just say no, honestly. Like, yeah. I mean, the value of learning CUDA when you could just use a higher level thing, go to TensorFlow or PyTorch or even something above right. that layer that just uses CUDA under the hood. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least to me, it's more about understanding the abstracts. Like understand what does CUDA do? It's an it's a, it's a API layer on top of the hardware and it's an abstraction. Just I, it's more understand it in the rough sense than the coding, be able to code against it sense. And I think that's what the, where the value becomes. And if you ever need to go back and get into it and like learn more about it, sure. But and there's, I mean, these days it's it's kind of like we're living at a at a higher level, so much. It's it's uh it's more just about awareness about the lower level. Absolutely. I I mean I've probably talked to, I mean, hundreds of data scientists, right? You know, within yeah. the government realm, commercial, and if I ask them, you know, do they care about the hardware? They say, absolutely not. Right? You know, yeah. <laughs> they don't even care. They're yeah. like. They tell the data engineer, they tell the system admin, look, just give me more resources and I'll get it yep. done. You know? yep. um, and it has to be, they have to understand, I think, you know, that they're, well, I'm trying to do a study on how valuable the hardware is now to data science, because I think that we are losing uh, traction. You know, we're starting to distance ourselves too far from the underlying, you know, platform, right? Yep. You know, I. I, I enjoy understanding the underlying platform, right? When doing coding, right? It goes back to like C. Have you ever worked with C? Oh, yeah, stuff? yeah, yeah. The under garbage collection. Yeah, you had to do some memory garbage. You know, you had to you had to understand yeah. that stuff, right? You know, and it made performance testing is fun. I mean, I, I actually really enjoyed getting in and squeezing out that extra one or two percent, but. I mean, and this is maybe I don't know, it sounds like an old fogey thing, but it's like I don't I just don't see anybody doing that anymore. I mean, yeah. it, it just even I mean, it's it's you just kind of get it working and you move on or you throw more hardware at it. And yeah. I think I mean, I'm hoping maybe there'll be a bit of a turnaround where it could be like maybe it's tooling, maybe it's different things. But I feel like we're leaving a lot of I mean, what you're leaving on the table is probably money. I mean, yeah, I we're that's what it is. Overspending it's money. money man. Yeah, it's I think it's it's we're solving problems by throwing more cloud resources. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I don't see I don't see people sitting back and going, did we really need to use that VM with that many GPUs or like mm -hmm. what's the utilization of it? I mean, we used to try and max out our GPUs to like ninety nine percent, and right. I don't think people look today and at that level of detail. They're just like, well, my algorithm run ran it trained, <laughs> but were you, how much like how much capacity were you actually using of what you threw at it? Um, and, and maybe it's the problem of the tooling's not showing us the same way we could easily look at a, a desktop system and maybe that's just working in the cloud is a little harder that way. So I don't know. I, mean, I think it's more of the data scientists is not held accountable for yeah. the amount of money being spent. Right. You know, right. I mean, so at the end of the day, I mean, if I was uh, working with a company and I say, Hey, look, I need you to solve this problem. I'm like, look, look, most of the time we're like, look, just give me everything that I need. Right. Give me all the resources, everything I need whatever I ask for, I'll solve the problem, but just give me yeah. it. Right. You know? And so they say, okay, I got this budget. I'll give it to you. I'll give you all the money, whatever it is. They don't care 
necessarily about the money being spent, right? Whether it's in the cloud or on-prem, it doesn't matter to the data scientists. They're like, look, just give it. Yeah, I've definitely heard people be like, well, I mean, I'm not, I'd, I'd rather just go spin up 20 more nodes than yeah. <laughs> like perf test my code and, and optimize it. Right, right. Time, right. Time yeah. too is a plays a factor, right? It's like yeah. maybe they're on a deadline of getting it done within this year or six months, right? Yeah. Or three months, right? And you're like, man, I got to get it done in three months. Do I have time to try to optimize this code? No, probably not, right? You know, just give me, if you have money, I'd rather get the money to get more nodes, you yeah. know, to, 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 to be able to run my model faster. It's a little, it's a little bit of, I don't know, maybe this sounds horrible, but it's like, I think a lot of the data science curriculum doesn't focus on this, where it's really about the algorithms and maybe not as much about the like, the tuning and the leveraging of the hardware, mm -hmm. the systems engineering side of it. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't hear about that a lot. And maybe that's a missing piece too, is like how to leverage the tooling to the best way from, I mean, from, from that perspective. And so it'll be, I'll be interested to see if that evolves over the next couple of years of people being like, well, can you do more with the same or can it, like, is cost going to be a, a, oh. a factor of, Hey, do this, but make it cost less. Um, I wonder if we'll start to see some pushback on that. I think we will. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, at some point you're going to have to. I mean, because it's like the burn rates and stuff for, for a lot of this is, I mean, something has to be optimized at some point, man. And as, and as it's all commoditized, it's going to be like, what is the knob you're going to turn? I mean, cost. It's going to it's going to be the thing. So Right, 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 right. All right. So I want to get into autonomous vehicles. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that was a topic that is, I mean, you look, Kirk, everybody here, Kirk is a genius in multiple different ways, right? You know, so, uh, so we're, I want to touch into autonomous vehicles, but I want to touch in that, that engineer role, right? You know, and, and then also understanding how you can build a data pipeline for autonomous vehicles, because people don't really understand that, right? They think about autonomous vehicles, they're like, this is awesome, right? You know, if you're a, a drunk driver, right? Autonomous vehicles can help you out, right? If you're if you're trying to do work in a car, that's great, right? Autonomous vehicles yeah. will help you out, right? You know, some some of these cool benefits in the future, right? That that autonomous mm -hmm. vehicles will be able to solve. That's great, but from a, the techie standpoint, like like us, right? You know, there's some there's some value there, some some stuff there that's going on from a data engineering standpoint. Do what? How does that role? Uh, do you do you see a data engineering playing yeah. playing a role in there? It's, I mean, it's a lot of it. I mean, and I've only been exposed to part of it, so I won't, I don't, not to overstate it. But I mean, there's, there's kind of two halves of it. Um, there's the kind of what I would call more like at the edge, like on the, on the vehicle, ML, mm -hmm. running in those closed loop systems. I really haven't been exposed other than, I mean, reading about it a little bit to that level of it. But there's, there's a kind of real time side to it. And then mm -hmm. there's the sort of offline testing side that I got, I was more involved with. But I think it's, um, just the data flows are so important. And I think it's it becomes um, kind of like a record and playback part of it too, because they're capturing, I mean, hundreds of gigabytes of data per like per day or more per car that's out there for testing. And that what they have to do then is play back that data against their algorithms. And so mm -hmm. that was what I, I got exposed to. And um, part of it is this impedance mismatch of, okay, you have the data sets that are in these like robot, what they call robotics data formats, like ROS bag is, a, is one that um, is very common. So that's like your, your capture format from the vehicle or for any robotic source. But then the classic data scientist has um, their tooling that's like Python code and TensorFlow and that kind of stuff. And there's this impedance mismatch of, well, how do you get data in from the vehicle's format to the data science format? And that was really the role of the data engineering or the, or the, the data pipeline, let's just say. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really the part I was involved with is like, okay, and partly it's a, a parsing problem. I mean, so you have to parse out the data. Um, mm -hmm. And well, even before that, it's a, it's a data ingest problem. How do you literally get the, the files off the hard drives at the facility in, into a data center to mm -hmm. be parsed? And I was like, that was something where I was surprised that that was even a problem. And we were having discussions literally about like, are they going to ship hard drives? Are they going to upload them? Or like we were going through all that. And that's, it's like such a funny discussion to have where you're like, I mean, you're not even in the algorithm realm at this point. Right. You're, you're, not even literally there. Like, you're literally in the, like, we're talking about putting things on UPS and shipping. Right. Things. And it just gets but also, like, how do you do it at a, at a, at a, 
like exp expeditiously, right? Yeah. You know, you do it. <laughs> we, were, we were designing like a system where they could basically plug in, jack into a high speed um, internet at the facility. And then every day that would like get swept into the data center. And at the time they weren't using public cloud or kind of their own private, um, private cloud essentially in, in their own data centers. But you have to start there. I mean, it's like, we're, we weren't even in the, in the looking at the data problem. It was just files. Oh my goodness. And that's where it's funny. I mean, that's like, everybody just ignores that part of it. And mm -hmm. we had to solve that problem. And then we had to solve, okay, once we had the data in the, some sort of cloud storage, or some sort of storage, what do we use? So mm -hmm. they were, um, and they were private clouds. So they had to pick a vendor. Um, they had to wait months for that vendor to get deployed. And then finally thinking about, okay, well, what compute runs on top of that to sweep the data, parse it, create an index of it, and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of where my unstruck we're looking at is we're trying to be the eyes on the cloud storage and create that discovery view on that data. Um, and then, but then it's, okay, well, once you have that, you obviously either are going to do two things. You're either going to train on that data or you're going to um, essentially try to action on that data. Mm -hmm. And what for the autonomous vehicle, they were trying to do two things of like basically do comparisons like, oh, here, this is data set from today, rerun this compute on it, and then compare it to other data. Um, but you have to have this workflow that is kind of a reactive workflow of new, new data hits the folder, you run some code on it, you generate a report, you have to get it back in the hands of somebody that's going to maybe change the algorithm for tomorrow. Um, and so essentially you have to have like, a, it's almost more of a workflow system than mm -hmm. purely it's like a data pipeline. And that's what we ended up seeing is, because it's not a one-time thing. It's really this every day, there's more data coming in and you have to have this, this continual flow. Um, and there is always a human in the loop at some point. Always, always. No, I agree, man. You know, and, and, and thank you for that. I mean, when I think about autonomous vehicles, right, that, that entire data pipeline, right. You know, I, I, for me, I, I just always try to equate the data pipeline, you know, to everything, you know, because I'm a data scientist. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but for autonomous vehicle development, if you will, you know, the the roles that are played in that, right, are so uh, they're they're kind of like not not uh, they're not recognized as much, right? You know, people think yeah. about the coding portion more than anything, but you have that data engineer portion, right? The collection of the data, like you said, what do you do? How do you do it expeditiously? How do you uh, parse the data out really fast, right? Things like that. That's before you even get, like you said, to the algorithms, right? We're not even talking about the algorithm portion, right? right. There's yeah. that to be done before that. And it's amazing, right? You know, that people, oh, yeah. that, you know, process, you know, training, uh, um, you know, the, the labeled data, right? Mm -hmm. That's derived from the test vehicles. Uh, you know, there's so much to it, right? Simulation, right? Test performance, all yeah. that good stuff that has to go into it. What was amazing to me, right, and we talked about this before, was that there's something like, they talk about cold storage, right? I'm yeah. like, what, what in the world? They're, they're talking about cold storage? What do they need cold storage for, you know, and, and that, I didn't even know that, right? They're talking about data labeling. I didn't know that, right, you know? I didn't know well, that. But well, it becomes a thing where, I mean, like, you may parse the data once and then never touch it again. Or, I mean, are there times that you, never i mean is it like the just the um the life cycle of the data is mm -hmm. something to think about i mean they're and they and a lot of times for companies it has to be auditable they can't literally just delete the data but you want to pay the least to keep it around and mm -hmm. you probably want to index it because you might want to go back and find it later um i mean we've had that with with customers we've talked to where they're they just have i mean S3 buckets of data from years or i mean months at least from of data they've captured that they I mean, they're literally using folder naming conventions for <laughs> indexing of like, how do I find this date or that date and stuff like that? And I mean, it's just classic kind of media management stuff they're missing where you can't go back and like what we can offer is having something you can draw a geofence on a map, mm. pick a time range, pick a couple tags that you want to filter on and slice down your data set to something that you can start with. And I mean, for a lot of companies, I mean, that's just getting to that point is a huge step up. Yeah, I mean, just nobody's expecting Google search over their data, but just the ability not to have to worry about the file names or express correctly and those kind of things is, is huge for people. Man, man. Well, 
Well, thank you for that. And and usually when I have a guest on, right, you know, that that is an expert in um, in certain things, certain areas, I definitely want to the audience to, especially more of the advanced audience, right, mm -hmm. you know, in the area to understand, you know, from an expert, you know, what are some of the viable tool sets that they would recommend, right? You know, so yep. if you list two or three, you know, that you've dealt with from a data pipeline standpoint that mm -hmm. you think would be viable, you know, what would they be? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, and let's split it into kind of the unstructured and the structured world. I mean, mm -hmm. in the structured world, I mean, I love what Fivetran is doing with just their connector-based concept for, for uh, data ingest. Um, I mean, we kind of have a, I, I've always liked that kind of, plugin model like Photoshop plugins where you can just expand a platform via connectors. Um, so I really, really like what they're doing. Um, I like what Atlan is doing with uh, oh, yeah. data collaboration, kind of, I mean, kind of putting that almost community collaboration aspect around the data. Um, I really like what they're doing as well. And then the thing I'm, I'm actually, I'll just throw this out there because I need to research it a bit more is kind of reverse ETL of getting data back mm -hmm. out of a warehouse, back into your infrastructure. And so um, there's a company called Census, who is, uh, I guess, a, a more name in this space now. I need to actually um, look into that more, but it's the idea of, okay, now you have your data in Snowflake, but I wanna like pump it back into another product or, or into something else. So um, I keep hearing their name a lot. And so I think that you kind of use Fivetran to get data into your warehouse. You might use like a Census to get it um, formatted data back out of your mm -hmm. warehouse. So it kind of helps close the loop with the data pipeline. So that's a, it's yeah. something I, I need to research a bit more, but I, uh, I think it's, you're starting to see this whole like circular loop of, of data now um, a bit more. That seems like that would be something that, that would be helpful for like uh like vendor to become vendor agnostic, right? You know, yeah. or, you know, where you don't, it doesn't matter. You go throw your data in that app, you can go over to Oracle, right? You can go to whatever it is, you know? Uh, so that seems pretty cool, man. You know. Well, it's it's like in the old days with SQL, and you had like I mean JDBC and ODBC drivers mm -hmm. for SQL, and I mean we're kind of coming back to that now. It's like okay, if I want to, as my company, get data out of Snowflake or some data warehouse, do I have to write to every SDK out there like Snowflakes and Azure Synapse or whatever, or can I just go to like a another company, Census or somebody like that, and say, hey, I want data from here. Give me data right. in this format, and they do all the heavy lifting. And it's Fivetran does the reverse where you can say, hey, I have data from anywhere, put it in this one place. So it's like mm -hmm. a double-sided funnel. Um, but I think that's where the world's kind of going is let's make those part, parts easy and mm -hmm. kind of canonicalize how you access data in those ways. So. Man, man, man. Well, no, look, thank you, Kirk, for being on here. Um, for sure. At the end of the podcast, a lot of the audience already knows. They, they know that I like to end with a what I call a dope data nugget or gem or summary. Yeah of the podcast. And from what I've learned, you know, based off our conversation is that there are many roles, right, mm -hmm. that are involved in uh, the the entire, everything from ingestion to visualization, right? You know? And we really should not downplay any of the roles, you know, in my eyes, because you have the data engineer, right, is just as valuable as the data scientist, right, who's just as valuable as that, that system engineer, who's just as valuable as, you know, whoever it is that's in that whole data transformation or data management process, right? The entire life cycle of the data is important. Every role is important. So let's not forget, uh, and let's not forget like the data scientists, right? And the, and the machine learning engineers and all that stuff, right? Any role that you have in place is important. So, you know, is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? I mean, I think that the big thing I would just say is, I mean, always think about, kind of be pragmatic about, I mean, the cost and the resources. Um, mm. It's not an endless bucket, <laughs> I mean, to pull from. <laughs> I think it's it's something everybody tends to forget about is, I mean, it's it's just something to keep an eye on and, and think about. I mean, am I using these resources for the right reason? Is there a, is, can I, I mean, be aware of what do the cloud providers offer? I mean, they're always changing their options for what VM instances they offer and there's always cheaper things. And so I think just be a little savvy about you don't have to know CUDA, but you just have to be savvy enough about what hardware and cloud providers or um, stuff you're using. And I think it'll it'll pay off. I mean, you could maybe save your company a little money or you'll be ahead of the curve and knowing here's the better new option. Um, so I, I'd probably leave it with that. Yeah, no, no, that, that's a great point because I guess at the end of the day, you know, like we talked about, data scientists are not cognizant of 
not thinking about the money, right? <laughs> you know, they're the uh, majority of them are not like, man, let me, you know, figure out, you know, how to uh, uh, maximize the value of what I'm doing, but minimize the cost, right? They're like, hey, look, let me just, I'm look, if you give me money, I'm going to go at it, right? <laughs> you know, which, hey, look, you know, you, you cannot be mad at them because nobody's saying don't do that, right? <laughs> you know, you say, like, I mean, you say 90% of the um, projects don't go into production. Okay. Is that because maybe they, spent too much money and they ran out of money to go to get to the quality bar. Like if they, if they had cost less without mm -hmm. giving them more time to run, like who knows? Yeah. So, who knows? You know, it's, you know, know. In the you government know. case though, it's because you have these layers, right? You know, and so it's about educating them on how valuable the layer is that the data yeah. scientists provided. Right. So when they hand it over, if it doesn't fit into their visualization piece, because they're all about reporting, Right. right. It doesn't matter uh, to them as far, if it cannot fit into how they report things or they don't understand it. They'll throw the throw the valuable model away. Right. It's so right. crazy you know, how the government does it, you know, but, you know, it will. I think it'll change over time. The more the more we educate. Right. Patience is important. You know, with this, I think with this whole everything's going so fast and eventually it'll start to slow down and people will start to. Mm -hmm. Have patience, you yeah. know. Patience is important in every role that we talked about, right? <laughs> it's true. That's true. You know. No, that's that's really true. So, okay, so let's have a little bit of fun. Okay, I like okay. to end it with some fun. Uh, the 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 audience knows that I like to play a game called overrated, underrated. Okay, we're so technical. We are geeking out, right? We've been killing it right now, but we want to know some of the stuff that you do behind the geeky scenes, right? You know, we want to have some fun with it. All right. So uh, I, I got this. I always attribute to, to Gary Vee, motivational speaker that I follow. You know, he did this game one day called Overrated, Underrated. I said, hey, look, data scientists, data data engineers, you know, people involved with data, you know, we, we love it. I know you all love us, but you would like us to be a little bit more normal. We are normal, okay? <laughs> You know, we do think about some of the crazy things, you know. So, okay, the way I play the game, right, um, Kirk, is that I will give you a list of topics and you get to choose whether it's overrated, underrated, or right where it needs to be. You can talk about it a little bit if you want to. If you don't, we'll move on to the next thing. All right. Okay. Ready? All right. Fireworks. <laughs> um, having lived, lived in L.A., uh, for several years, and they basically would happen like before and after every holiday. I'd say they're overrated because my, <laughs> my, dogs, my dogs hated them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think they're overrated. I mean, being in the DC area, if I hear another firework, you know, yeah. sometimes they do it. Not even it's not even appropriate, right? When they yeah. do it, I'm like come on, man, it's not yeah. for July. It's not what, what is, <laughs> exactly. What is the reason behind it? So. I can um, I can live I can live without them for the rest of my life. <laughs> right, right. And, and and they do it around the times where you're trying to sleep, right? You know. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and your dogs your dogs just get so stressed out. So yeah, it's. it's <laughs> All right, washing your car. Oh, um, I am a poor. Well, I got rid of my car this year, and I've just been Ubering, and because I'm working from home. So, mm -hmm. but before I was a very poor uh, car washer. So I'd say it's overrated. Yeah. 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 I agree. Uh, I get tired of it, right? You know, it is a good feeling to have, right? It's a temporary feeling, though. That's the problem. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's so temporary, right? It could it could be as temporary as like five minutes, right? That you have, and you yeah. leave the car wash, and it's yeah. pollen everywhere, right? And we're <laughs> pollen season is all over the place here. Oh you know? yeah. <laughs> when I when I had my car, I was in LA, and I go and there was a great car wash down the street. I go get it detailed, and it would look gorgeous. But then I had street parking. And so literally within a day, it would be a mess again. Yeah. And so it just was like, yeah, you get a really short-term dopamine hit on that. And then it's just back to being like the same as it was the day before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, ra I would rather revert to maybe alcohol as a temporary problem solver. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. this is thing, so. All right. Laser tag. Laser tag. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, I have never played laser tag. Like, oh, come on, like, things. I played all kinds of other stuff, but like I've never actually played laser tag. What about paintball? I've done. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I didn't play paintball. I've done um, other stuff like that. Like uh, I mean, paintball. 
I don't know. I mean, I think they're like pretty appropriate. I mean, I've always mm-hmm. wanted to, but um, there's a, I mean, some of that stuff like that, I just never got a chance to do. I mean, I've done like, I don't know, uh, go-karting and, and all those, oh, yeah. those similar things like that that you do in those groups. But, uh, but yeah, uh-huh. never, uh, I'd say it's probably about go-karting. A I love go-karting. Yeah. <laughs> Look, man, I, I, I enjoy go-karting and I'm pretty sure in, in LA, they have some crazy go-kart like, you know, areas. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm back up in Seattle now. I just moved back, and uh, there's oh. a, a K1 Speed. I think it's a they have them around the country, but there's they're they're really good now. So uh, yeah, I haven't done it. And I I need to do that soon. So. Yeah, yeah, it's the point where you just say, look, just throw me into the professional race car realm. You know, I mean, that's how fast some of the cars go now. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, I I once took a totally off topic. I once took a one of those. Uh, auto racing classes at uh-huh. like at the, at the um, racing facility in Sonoma and oh. you get to like ride one in one an open wheel car for the day. That is the best thing ever. So if you ever, Oh man, the adrenaline probably is, yeah. is crazy. <laughs> that's oh, that's even than go-karting. Oh, all right. Cowboy hats. Oh, I mean with this head, I probably should be, I should say underrated. So uh, <laughs> it's not, it's not really my jam, but I'm not, I don't have, I don't really have a, a an opinion on him. So in the right, in the, like I lived in Austin for a while and they were pretty normal. So it, uh, anybody think, wears them in Austin? People say, I mean, you do, I mean, you could buy them at the grocery store probably. So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Drive through windows. I'm pretty antisocial probably when I'm out in the car. So I'd, I'd say it's, they're, they're, right on so i mean drive through windows are great so all right shaking hands um that's interesting i mean i guess it's like the pre-covid post-covid <laughs> right. I like I, I was always just a normal handshaker before i don't know what i'm gonna go back to now so yeah, I yeah. Think it, uh, it'll be really interesting i mean it, it yeah. might just be a wave instead of like a fist bump or anything these days so. yeah i mean it is it, always awkward right you're going it's like at what place uh, when you go into the room, right, you got the person yeah. that goes in there first, they sit down, and the people are coming in, they're the person that probably can initiate whether it's, hey, I'm going to shake your hand or not. Right, and right. Then if the person goes up to you, if you don't, and this is all post-COVID, right, because it's right, too much right. to think about, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's so all algorithms in here. It's like <laughs> it's, there's so many new social norms that we got to figure out so it's uh, yeah, yeah somebody I should do a deep learning algorithm on uh on handshaking after yeah. COVID. <laughs> uh, it needs a little like bird in your ear that tells you like okay handshake to this person not this person so yeah 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 and why right you know all <laughs> right butter oh i love butter yeah I, I think it's underrated so i agree you know it's funny I, I actually when i was thinking about butter at first i was like ah oh, i think it's overrated but yeah. then I started thinking, man, I throw butter in everything, man. What am I talking I, I just, about? <laughs> it's so funny. I just had some banana bread with coffee earlier and put yeah. butter on it. Put butter on the banana bread. And I'm like, yeah. it's like I think it, it is a definitely a lot of like people would think it's overkill, but yeah, I'm I'm all for it. So oh man, oh man. All right, the barber shop. That's the last one. <laughs> I think it's I think it's I mean, especially too. I I cut my own hair, so I'd say it's overrated. So yeah, <laughs> it's like I, I would say it's nothing like what probably about five years ago it was nothing like going to the barbershop I used to love it, yeah. from the family right you know you yeah. get a chance to chop it up with your friends your buddies yeah. you know you're just sitting there listening but now I feel like it's a little bit of a chore you know a task it's in my way because I have so much to do yeah you know, like, oh, now I got to go to the barbershop right you know <laughs> yeah it's so funny I know I I had lived in DC for a number of years after college and I remember there was just some great old school barbershops there and I used to go in it was just so like you smell good after you get out of there and it's yeah. like back, back when I did have hair right you know? yeah, it was a great it was a great experience but after a while now I'm just like yeah get the clippers out I'm just like yeah, yeah. You know, why pay for it when I can do it in five minutes so yeah yeah <laughs> time right you know so all right, Kirk, I appreciate you being on our podcast audience. This yeah. is the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I am your host, Dapper Data. Kirk, you have been an amazing guest. You know, you have provided so much value to the audience. I'm sure they're going to love it. You know, where can they reach you at, Kirk? And is there anything that you're promoting right now? Yeah, um, LinkedIn is the best way uh, to get a hold of me. Just Kirk Marple. I think there's only one of one of me there. <laughs> uh, instruct.com. Um, just uh, yeah, follow. I think uh, we're on Twitter and the website. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out. I mean, love to talk to people about anything we're doing or, or any questions they have. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're launching our product um, 
we're actually I'm flying to Orlando next week to do a conference um, on a drone uh, kind of the drone robotics area. So it's yeah, exciting times. Yeah, we're just getting launched um, for real here, and uh, it's going to be a fun summer of getting out with customers and, and pushing what we've been building the last year. So yeah, yeah. is this the day to day conference you were talking about? Or? Yeah, um, it's uh, called AUVSI. Um, it's literally next week in Orlando. It's um, all oh, like an unmanned vehicle um, conference, drones, robotics, stuff like that. So um, it should be, I think there's like 500 vendors going, uh, exhibitors there. So it's a decent sized one. Um, I went to some smaller ones last year, but I think this will be the biggest conference we've been to in the last year or so. Oh, man, that's amazing. Yeah. And and I remember you talking to me about a data day in Texas or something. Yeah. You know, in, that, in, June, in June, there's a data day, Texas. Mm -hmm. um, great conference. I think it's it's literally just one day in Austin. Um, it's basically a who's who of the data community. Um, really a great person, Lynn uh, Bender, he puts it on. And um, yeah, we're sponsoring it. And I'm going to be talking there about unstructured data. So um, I love Austin, too. So I'm happy to get back and uh, it's be there for another day yeah, yeah well well thank you kirk i appreciate it audience you know you can reach me at www.mrdapperdata.com or any one of the social media sites just type in at mr dapper data that's twitter linkedin instagram you name it you know um i appreciate you all listening in tuning in you know this has been another great episode thanks a lot kirk again you know and i love you audience peace Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion with your host, Dapper Data.